The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Welcome to another episode of Adventures in Geek. I'm Zoe. I'm Mike. And today we have Miss Sharon Blinn. Now, you got it. I know you're, you're still new with the podcast, even though we really didn't have guests when you did Cubcast at your school. Yeah. We were supposed to you're, have someone, but you, that didn't work. You are still kind of new at doing introductions. So we're going to say, I'm going to help add to it. Because that's what I do as a dad. Sharon, you saw her in the movie Lie to Me, right? Or TV well, show? Mama. Lied. Mama has seen her in well, Lie to I, Me. I, I remember of, seeing her in Lie to Me as well. I kind of watched it a little bit, but I mainly wasn't paying attention. But we know her from the end credit scene in Spider-Man Far From Home. And of course, in order to get that part... She would have had to have had a major role, which she did in Captain, in, in Marvel. Captain Marvel as Soren, Talos's wife. So we're going to introduce who? Miss Sharon Blinn. Then what do you say after that? Hi. Hi and welcome. And how are you doing? I think we got it covered. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, a wonderful way to start a Sunday morning. It is. So how are you doing? It's been a while. I'm doing well. It's, uh, well, since the last time we spoke, the world has gone all topsy-turvy, so. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's actually, this whole format has become the norm. This whole, uh. Who knew? We, bubble. We've been doing this, or I've been doing this with all the shows for eight years now. Almost. You're, you're out of time. Yeah. Since I was the, two. The only person I don't. I don't record a show over Skype with is her. Well, I'm right next to you. Well, I can always put you in another room. Uh, okay. <laughs> and we do it through Skype if you want to do it. But, um, so. Have you been in, been in school online? I take it also. Nah, right? I, I've gone to face to face. Well, at, really? the, at the start of the pandemic, um, or as we like to say, the virus that shall remain nameless to, to feed on that Harry Potter theme. Um, yeah. Everything started right around her spring break. So afterwards, we did distant, uh, we did the virtual learning for the rest of the school year. And then for the summer, they gave the option of either homeschooling, the virtual learning, or going back face-to-face. And she she's a trooper. Um, she really loves being in the school environment. Yeah. And uh, so she wears, she goes, I know I got to wear the mask. Um, I, I know the precautions I got to take and yeah, I go back to school. Everybody wears a mask. Every Everybody wears a mask and everybody has to hand sanitize before lunch and like 
all this other time. All the precautions we can take, but yeah. Yeah. And of course, we all want to be in real, real time environments, but sometimes if not everyone is kind of cooperating and doing it together, then it's sort of. (laughs) Well, I. I haven't told her because she had a sleepover last night, but I went over to um, one of her best friend's house to help uh, her dad move um, a couch a couch into their house. And on my way home, I turned on the ra- I had the radio on. And as I'm starting to drive by the community park, U2's A Beautiful Day is playing on the radio. And I happened to look over and I finally saw people playing on the basketball courts, which I hadn't uh-huh. seen in at least six months, and I, I just said, yep, people are getting back to, to not being, they're being cautious, but not being afraid, and they're, and they're trying to get back to a normal, and it is a beautiful day because of that, yeah. and, and I thought that was great. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here with you in a so, digital world. <laughs> so, since... Our show is about the journey of our geekdom together, you know, father, uh, daughter, father journey. Yeah. I I tend to always, uh, I think this is become, going to become my question with a guest. guest. Question: What what was um, your geek journey like with your parents when you were a kid? Oh my gosh! Well, honestly, it's not as romantic as yours in terms of <laughs> the fairy tale idea. Uh, my geek journey was not with my parents, actually. It was, you know, really with my brother and sister and then some, a couple of our close friends who like, we lived in a little neighborhood. So like I had these best friends that were a block over and, and I have to, I'll have to give a shout out to Derek Richmond because he would kill me if I didn't, because he, he wants credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> He had a big collection of comic books in the garage and, and like in the sleeves and organized and cab, uh, catalog and everything. So we would just spend hours in that garage, just going through comics and reading. And we played Dungeons and Dragons together. It was like, and his sister, Dara, his sister, Dara, Dara was my age. Derek was a little older, like a year older, but we all hung out like my brother and my, and my twin, my older brother and twin sister. And then the two of them, we were all, so it was sort of more because we, uh, we're a little bit on the outside, so we all kind of clustered together in that sense. So it wasn't with my parents. It was sort of more between the kids, like the siblings. D- did your parents encourage it, though? Uh, they didn't or- encourage, not encourage it. They, their main focus for us was about education and scholarship and being, you know, being in school and learning and studying and expanding our minds and, you know, being getting good grades and doing all that. So that was... I mean, it's not necessarily separate from geekdom because, you know, we dive right. into a world and we learn everything we can about it and we get really good at stuff, hopefully. Um, so it wasn't, they weren't so for or against. It was just sort of they, and they also probably liked that we had some friends who didn't tease us and make fun of us. <laughs> so the, the things her parents looked out for her and her brothers and sisters about, does that kind of sound familiar? We want you to get the good grades and, and all that, right? Do your best. Yeah. Even though I'm an only child. So, doesn't matter. <laughs> a parent's a parent. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've got some questions? So, this one's not This one's not what you got last time, but why do you <laughs> like acting? 
why do I like acting? It's interesting. I came in because I came into acting from a totally different, you know, it, it wasn't like a childhood thing. And then I just started pursuing it from a young age. It was I came into it later and sort of through a, of a side door, sort of, because when I had got cancer, ovarian cancer and lost my hair and other stuff, you know, like with my ovaries and thinking about my femininity, my womanhood, I, I was looking for ways to um, to embrace my femininity and wholeness, even while my body was having things going on that were not in my control, right? And so things that supposedly society used to define our beauty and our wholeness as women, even from a young age, even from your age, you know, I'm sure you deal with it all the time, all these standards of what makes what makes you supposedly more cool and groovy or you know, what makes girls or boys think is cool, whatever. It's like, it's some arbitrary standard, right? And I've always rebelled against that anyway. I was a tomboy and I didn't wear the, the right clothes probably in my brother's hand-me-downs and my sister and I wanted to be our brother, actually. <laughs> um, that wasn't going to happen. But um, so when I, I, I did some things to sort of embrace that and then the spark of the idea came into my mind about using the visual media, TV and film and even print media to put an image out there of a bald woman in a new way that, that, you know, it just expanded the envelope about what is considered feminine and beautiful. So that I came into acting because it was the, the bald is beautiful is the fuel behind my acting work. So, and that was at, the idea came in around 28. I was diagnosed at 28 and went through treatments and that was a three year journey. So around 2002, so I was, I was 31 uh, when I actually, you know, was kind of in between surgeries and like could actually get stuff started. I had a false remission. Then I went and had my last surgery in 2003. And then from that on, Bald is Beautiful was launched. Uh, I was working in the music business before that and I had already left and I never went back. <laughs> so I had, I, I did a photo shoot with a friend of a friend, uh, had a mission statement and slapped that on the back of a photo. I had never done any of it. So I just started mailing those out, you know, snail mail. This is all pre-digital age, pre-social, <laughs> pre-any of that even existing and started sending out the photo to different agents and reps to try and get work. And my sister, I should say also, my sister's an actor. So she's always been doing it actually since college days. So I did have her as inspiration, but also support and encouragement. Like she would probably have told me, don't do that, Sharon. <laughs> um, and she gave me my first acting job back actually. She put together a collective of women and we, uh, it's called Off the Muff. It's sort of, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know how, if, if you've heard of the vagina monologues, like no, that's, that's still kind of above her age, past her age range, uh, ahead of her, ahead of her age range. Yes. But basically it's about embracing and being an empowered woman and you can be an empowered young woman as well. Um, so she did it. We all had, it was like seven, eight women at the time. Uh, all and I had been journaling a lot about my ovaries and stuff during my cancer experience, and she invited my sister invited me to be part of this collective of women doing these monologues that were first person present tense about our autobiographical stuff. So I did that, and I was terrified because performing was not my thing at all. And I kind of got the bug there, the acting bug in that experience. But I did kind of white knuckle it. I was like sitting on the thing with my oh my god. Um, and afterwards, she said, you know should do that go for it so with her with my twins blessing i sort of like all right i can go for this awesome thing. You, you kind of relate too right you've been dancing for years and then with the new i do ballet i've done i've done and dewey i'm doing and have done ballet and tap i have done lyrical clogging jazz 
I want it. Well, it was lyrical jazz. Lyrical jazz. I've done a little hip hop at school. Yeah. Um, That's great. I've done a little bit of the Spanish dancing because of Hispanic Heritage Month at my school does like a show. So I've done that. I've done a lot. Salsa dancing is one of my favorite things to do. But but her her primary focus right now is tap and ballet. ballet. She's in ballet too. And wow. tap three. And she was supposed to test for the get her Academy lo- of Dance um, Ballet One exam, but then the pandemic happened and it got canceled. So I call I've been calling it a pandemic pause. Yeah, that works. I I'm I'm a tiny bit glad the 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 exams got canceled because I forgot the lady's name and we had to remember the name for before and after. I'm like, I don't know her name. I forgot. You have been told that day. All right. Now you have plenty of time to, and yep. you can do a little extra prep. Well, now uh, that she's moved on to Ballet 2, she's now prepping for the Ballet 2 exams. Oh, right. So she, she won't have to worry about the Level 1 exam. She just worries about Level 2. Pandemic passed. Yeah, free pass. Right on. And uh, so, but the studio we're at now, well, the previous studio we had been been to, um, the recitals were either at like one of the churches or at a high school theater. Um, but then we changed to a new studio and that studio does their show at one of the performing arts centers last in town. Year. So an actual Real theater, last the fly year, loft, and last year it was at Bob Carr. It's called the Bob Carr Performing Arts Center here in Orlando. Wow. And I warned her before we walked inside because she had to be there early for for morning for her morning rehearsal. I'm like, once you step on this stage, it's going to change your life one way or another. And um, so we walked in. I naturally felt at home, being from a th- theatrical background. Um, and I walked in. It was like the biggest stage ever that I've ever. That tiny, I, like like a little mini figure in this big. <laughs> it was the biggest stage I've ever walked on. But what what was the vibe like to you the first time? Did it did it was it magical or was it magical and butterflies in my stomach? You know what? I still get that when I perform. So that's not that's that's really. I think we all experience that. Like. No matter how many times you do something, sometimes it's, yep. there's a lot of reasons for it. Probably some of it is maybe uh, perf- perfectionist. I don't want to, you know, mess up, but also it's the energy, especially if obviously if there's an audience there and sort of the audience gives you energy, but even on a set, it's sort of like you're having, you're, you're about to have this kind of um, chemical, biochemical, emotional experience that you don't know what's going to happen because even though it's scripted, you have to be present in the moment with what's happening in the moment in front of you with, with your actor or your partner, your scene partners, whatever, or with your dance partners too. So you have to be kind of available to whatever's going to happen and flow with it. And so it's, it's like you're on the edge of something. It's very exciting. Well, I had asked her after we'd done the rehearsal and we were heading back over to the hotel across the street. I said, and she told me magical and butterflies. I said, okay, was it a good magical and was it different from every other performance? And she said, yeah. I said, and did that bug hit? She goes, I think so. <laughs> so once yeah, you said, 
sacrifice from like instead of it becoming nervous energy, you learn to sort of channel it in a different way that it it sort of energizes the performance that rather kind, than that kind of actually happened today. So um, at the sleepover, my friend has like a big lake, and we went paddle boarding. So Ooh, so the first time I'm like, I don't want to die. <laughs> Unnatural response. Because I don't, I don't like the feel of seaweed. So and like they, there's like thousands of seaweed. It's like, and there's like barely any fish. But so the first time I went on three times. The first time was like get to feel the board and stuff. So um, my friend's mom took us, and that was very wobbly because there was three people on the paddleboard. <laughs> Because it was, well, yeah, it's like um, a heavy-duty paddleboard where it's not built for speed. It's built for, like, balance and stuff. Okay. And then I went on. Paddleboard where you're standing up, right? Um, yeah. Yes. But okay. I did not stand up. I did not stand up for my first time. But then the, sec- then the second time, I rode by myself, and I sat down and paddled by myself. Then the third time, I took my... One of my friend's younger brother on the paddleboard, and he was very wobbly. <laughs> he was like this. I'm like, please, please stop moving the board. You're like going to tip us over. So funny, though, the things that make it more challenging make you better at it because like then you have to work harder to find the balance. So that exercises thing we were talking about, like you don't know what's going to happen. So you have to be ready in the moment to sort of adjust and find the balance. So that's sort of like a metaphor for life. My my friend was um, standing up on the paddleboard and fell into the lake. Well, at least it's a lake and not like hard cement. Yeah. Fall in the water. So there's like an area with the alligators. Thankfully, she was still in like the like shoreline. So yeah, then, yeah, yeah. It was shallow enough, but but you, you could swim. If you yeah, have to. she she knows how to swim. Yeah, that's exciting. So I'm in there. Oh, that's- <laughs> okay, sorry. What you got? You had a really long list there, so I know you got stuff ready. <laughs> <laughs> what are you goals for Bald is Beautiful? My goals. Um, continuing on the arc of what I've been doing, which is to do more, you know, more roles that give me a platform to do interviews and talk about uh, both ovarian cancer awareness, because it's not really talked about that much, but also um, uh, to talk about women's wholeness and empowerment and uh, body autonomy and all these things about embracing who we are and defining those things for ourselves on our own terms. And sickness and in health. Um, I did, you know, I have to tell you, let's see, have I done it well? I did, when I first started it, I had what I called the pie in the sky, baldest beautiful dreams, like the ideal, like, oh my God, okay, when I first started, I hadn't done anything yet. Like, these are like the goal goals, like way up there, you know? And one of them was to be on Oprah when she still had her show. Uh, one of them was to be on a billboard in Times Square. Uh, just the image of a bald woman just in Times Square. It's like a uh, big prominent and like whatever. Um, <laughs> excuse me, a beauty campaign like with, you know, L'Oreal or Revlon or something like that. Because using my image or the image of a bald woman would say a lot without having to say anything. Right. Because it's a brand that represents beauty. And if they're using this image, then you don't have to say anything to explain that. But then that would be a platform for me to actually speak on it more. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, Billboard and Times Square, beauty campaign, um, Oprah. And then I guess the other one in terms of the more practical, I don't know, practical, but still fantasy or whatever, or still be real someday, is, is, a, is a, re- a series regular role on a TV show that doesn't have to be the central character, but just someone that people will see on a regular basis to do that thing that the media has the power to do is that to shift how people see. So if they see a bald woman regularly who's not sick or dying and or who isn't, you know, whatever stereotype that they might have for a bald woman, that it just sort of shifts the consciousness about what that look can mean instead of just this narrow set of ideas. Suddenly it can be anything. So it would be like a recurring character, like on, oh, I love these, I love, I'm a law and order freak, um, or like CSI, I love those forensic shows. So like, there's always a, a quirky, geeky science tech or computer tech. Yep. So it's like, I want to be that, you know, they're on the show regularly. They're not the central character, but they're, people will see that character on a regular basis and get used to it, sort of to remove the stigma of, you know, the supposed stigma of what's around, what this look can mean. I- I remember you I remember you talking on Mighty Marvel Geeks about wanting to and we said we we're gonna help try and get you on Law and Order. Yes. Well we can still do that. Law and Order SVU is still on or Chicago PD is my other new Dick Wolf favorite. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll, I branched we'll, out of Chicago. We'll, we'll, we'll push for Chicago PD instead. I was just it was one of those things where, you know, he moved into Chicago, Dick Wolf, yep. you know, started, so it has Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD. Yep. And as usual, the, the, the shows, I know it's procedural and people probably disagree with me, but it's a procedural. So it, it has the formula, but I just always appreciate the, the grit and the reality of how they develop the characters. So it's not just, even though the cases are what they are and there's the formula of that. Right. But you, you do there's character development. You you learn to sort of get into the lives and the and the story of the characters themselves. It's not just about the cases or what's happening. I I caught uh, a few weeks ago uh, a Chicago PD marathon on USA Network. Oh yeah, um, it's on USA. There's a couple of networks that have them that I'm just like I dive in. <laughs> and I I actually got hooked a little bit, a lot more than the Law and Order. It's like Law and Order. I'm like, eh, okay. But the Chicago PD, it's it's some different about it enough that I, I found more um, more capturing. Well, it's also, I guess for me, because I've literally seen every single Law & Order episode, <laughs> I've seen all of the Law & Order and SVU, Criminal Intent not as much, but SVU, and I and I also love Marissa Hargitay. She's, she's sort of my, the paradigm of my, of when you were talking about your question of my goals for Bald is Beautiful, she is someone, for example, who uses her major platform, her visibility to actually make positive change in the world. So she uses the power of her voice and her visibility to make change. So that's, she represents like someone who's doing, she's an activist, what I call myself an activist. She does that as well. For Law & Order SVU, that's what, why that is so special to me, especially. But I've seen all the episodes so many times. So I think the other thing with Chicago, the Chicago franchise of the Dick Wolf universe was that it was like new characters I could start to fall yeah. in love with. And Hank Voigt, the, the character, the Jason Biggs, that voice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, we actually had over the summer, um, he, he was from one of the Chicago series. Uh, he did one or two episodes as one of the doctors. It was a gentleman by the name of Dwight Turner. Okay. And we had him on Weeby Geeks. Oh, wow. Uh, so ver- very cool guy. Um, <laughs> now is bald, is bald is beautiful, a charity that you've also started or is it just, um, just a, a, a movement to... It's to, a movement and a message right now. Like, I don't have okay. official 501c3. I don't do fundraising type 
stuff, you know, in the, on that level, partially because I just haven't set that up and it's, you know, I'm just one person. So I can only do so much of what I'm trying to do at the same time. I don't have like a team around me to set these things up and to kind of manage them. But, um, and I also have to find ways to make a living. Um, but even if I did, I would, I, my idea when I started it was to, to start a foundation and, but the proceeds that I would raise would go towards pre-existing, you know, organizations that already right. exist at like, um, OCRA, uh, which is Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. It used to be the Ovarian Cancer Research Fund. That and Gilda's Club are my two okay. favorite, um, organizations that if I were to raise money on that level, I would basically just disperse the funds. They would be the beneficiaries, I guess, of whatever fundraising I did, because I don't want to compete. There's already enough, there's little enough going on for ovarian cancer research and stuff. So I wouldn't want to take funds away from that. And I don't have an infrastructure in place. I don't have a team of doctors and research labs that I'm helping fund. They do. Right. Um, and Builders Club has the support groups and the, and the facilities to, that, that offer all this free support. So I wouldn't want to... There's, there's nothing I'm going to give in that regard that's going to be the, the, the tangible stuff that they're not already doing way better. So I'd rather like raise money and give it to them to keep, you know, to keep them help contribute to what they're doing already. You know you're, what I mean? you're, you're, you're trying to help by being a another voice and trying to make that voice louder yes. to, to help the cause. Yes. Now, Zoe, Gilda Foundation, if I remember right, is named after Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner, that's right. And you, you remember uh, Willy Wonka and um, Gene, oh, I can't remember his last name, Gene Wilder. That was his wife. <laughs> I was going to how long it took you to get that. <laughs> <laughs> help, from, help from the wife in the other room. I heard the, the voice of God from the other room. I heard that. Um, and she was an actress on Saturday Night Live, and she and and she was also a a film actress as well. Had done some films, and she and Gene Wilder were married for a while until her passing. Who was the actor from, from Willie? He, the, the she he he, he, he was the guy who ran the whole thing. He was Willy Wonka. He was oh. giving out. Yeah. He's the main dude. Yeah, so I didn't know. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. That, that was his wife. I didn't know the name of the actor. All I knew is he was Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka was his wife. That's when, as you get older, there's some of his movies you should definitely get into. Yes, and, and she will get into. She's seen Especially Willy Wonka. Ones with fire, stir, stir crazy, blazing. The, but the start with Blazing Saddles, even. But the Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Me on the list, or? Young Frankenstein's one of the next ones I want to introduce her to. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, of his. Um, <laughs> he he had a bunch of great movies and. Uh, I'll have to, we'll, we'll have to see if we can find some of Gilda's movies as well. Because she, Mostly, she's most well-known, though, for the SNL sketches, yeah. you know, uh, just really brilliant. And she had ovarian cancer. So she went through treatment, and uh, she was actually on the West Coast. She went to something called the Wellness Community out here. Um, and, and back in New York, they didn't have anything like that, really. She hadn't found or experienced anything like that kind of support community. So after she passed, Jean Wilder and uh, <clears throat> Gilda's therapist, uh, jo- Joanne Plum, had this idea to start what they call Gilda's Club to provide a, a place where you could have support groups. Not just what I love about Gilda's Club, if I may take some time to, to oh, go ahead. 
the, I think it's it's one of my favorite organizations on the planet. They are to me one of the most comprehensive cancer support communities because it's not just about a, one specific kind of cancer. It's all forms of cancer, and also they have support groups for people going through. But they also have support groups for friends and family. They have a special they call Noogie Land, which is their kids kids with different cancers. They have networking groups that where they have experts come in and, and share different not just medical experts like they'll have a makeup person come in and show people how to you know do the makeup if, if women want to do makeup but they don't have eyebrows like how to, you know that kind of stuff they have um they also have just casual events like a potluck dinner or uh, i was in miami going through treatment and they had a facility in fort lauderdale they had a, they had a house and they had a pool so they would have a pool party okay. just people could get together and not talk about cancer and feel like they're among people who understand what they're going through and everything they do is free maybe which maybe. is like amazing Maybe that's an idea. Um, you've heard me talk about with Weeby Geeks, Mighty Marvel Geeks, Wookie Radio. If we ever do fundraisers to put money towards a, a charity. Uh, I'm a, a near you. I don't have a location near you, but there might be one. They changed the name, which I'm not thrilled about because I think it should have stayed Gilda's Club. But they changed it to this more generic, the cancer community. Um, but if you look up Gilda's Club in your area, they, there might be a house. Okay. They're known for the big red door. That okay. was for Gilda's so they, they um, I, I can send you a link to the to the one in New York just so you can get an, okay. an idea. And then they can probably, you'll probably figure out how to find it. But yeah. they're just amazing. I love that organization. Well, we, we were thinking about, um, partially because of my work with Disney, Give Kids the World, uh, which is the Make-A-Wish Village here in Orlando. Um, but because of the pandemic and the fact that you know, the parks have been closed for such a long time, which yeah. California, they're still closed uh, here. We reopened in July. Um, they've kind of had to shut down a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but cancer has also been a, a major thing in our family as well. Um, her aunt, my sister-in-law, had breast cancer. Um, I think you mentioned that when we yeah. first so, uh, so I'm not going to rehash it, but you know we've had it in the family on both sides, and uh, so hearing that they they don't do just one, but they encompass all, that would be a good way to say, hey, we could do donation once we're able to get to that point. That's yeah. somewhere we can help, where it helps with everyone's cancer, not just a single cancer. Right, and like I said, for me, the most comprehensive because they they have friends and family support groups, so they yeah. they know that everyone's on that ride. Every you know, sorry, we take you all with us. Yeah. <laughs> we were on that crazy roller coaster, and the caregivers and friends and family need as much support in some ways in a totally different way than the patients going through. So even if I, for example, didn't go, my my mom or my sister could find a support group at Gilda's Club to. You know, again, be among people who are, they understand that side of the experience. And sometimes caregivers are the unsung heroes. I think we're seeing that even in this pandemic. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the nurses and the doctors and even the, again, the, the, the sanitation workers who clean up all the dirty things in the hospital. Like every every aspect of what goes on in a hospital, these are oh, yeah. the front lines who yeah. are, and they're unsung heroes. You know? Yeah. Being thrust into it, whether they wanted to be or not. Yeah. So, and they, they're putting their lives on the line for everybody. So that's. Well, speaking of roller coasters, what was the roller coaster like <laughs> when you got the call saying, hey, we want you in Captain in, in this picture that ended up being Captain Marvel? Oh, man. Well, just I mean, you can imagine the, the geek response already was just 
I cried. When I got the phone call, I laughed and cried. And I also spent a lot of time making sure it was real. Like I kept asking my manager when she gave me the call, are you, like, are you sitting down? I was like, I mean, this is like for real, for real? Like it's real, real? Like it's, they're not going to take it away from me? Like it's happening? <laughs> like it was like a five minute, which felt like forever of me just, you know, somehow pinching myself and getting her to pinch me over the phone just to make sure like, okay, this isn't like a dream, right? <laughs> but it is a dream come true. Um, <laughs> So from like the geek perspective, that was the initial thing. And I cried like tears of joy. And then thinking about Bald is Beautiful, it's just, again, this whole thing of like doing something so major. I don't, I didn't know the extent of my role even at that point. It just like, like, oh, this is just huge. And I'll, you know, it's, I'm doing Bald is Beautiful and I've been committed to that and things are coming to fruition. So it was just as an actor, then the, also the opportunity and you know, again, I didn't know yet what I was getting into as far as the prosthetics and the whole everything and even the extent of the role because they don't tell you anything. Right. So I had no information. I just knew I was in and that's it. And I was low over the moon. Now, did, did you know what the movie was or no. you just knew it was a Marvel film? I knew it was a Marvel film. At some point, I think I did know it was Captain Marvel. Not in that first, not in that initial thing, but then... Even then, this the script and the sides that I would get would be only my pages, okay. only scenes. So I didn't know the story. I didn't know the context. Even after I shot my scene, I didn't know the context or the, the as you know now, no spoilers, it's been out long enough. So that, that the pivotal nature of the scene, that major scene that with Talos and when we're reunited. Right. That part so, of the movie, like, so I, I have no idea. Zoe so likes this for spoilers for those who... As you said, even though the movie's been out for a few years, we're going to go ahead and say it anyway. Spoilers. Okay, maybe not. Oh, are you guys, you're going to say the word? No. Oh. Oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> was that you from when you were like five years old or something? What is that? That was uh, me when I was little. Like three years ah! old. Three years old, I believe, is when that was done. Already knew that word? That's amazing. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. That uh, was one. It's like, okay, say spoiler. Yeah. And, and then, okay, say alert. Spoiler alert. And then I went back in and magic of editing That's and piece it to. Incredibly adorable. <laughs> And I love the, her reaction to hearing. The, uh, yeah, that's just, yeah, awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I did, I did not know the pivotal nature or the scope of what that moment meant in the movie until I went to the cast and crew screening two days before the movie came out. So I had no, I had no idea until I saw the full movie, what was going on. So was this something they reached out to you or did you go to a, an open casting call for it? Uh, well, it was, a, it was an audition, okay. specific audition. I drew my representation and it had nothing. The, 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 the scene, again, was very gen generic description of a moment happening. No names, no character descriptions, nothing about anything. It was very general. Like, you're coming over a hill and you expect to maybe see your husband. And then you do see him. And then you hug. And then you, he, without saying anything, is asking about his daughter. And you motion her over. Like, very nothing, no information. So I had to do all that visually, no dialogue. And of course, in an audition, you can't actually run and hug right. anyone. But to communicate all this emotion with no dialogue and create the environment. It was one of the most terrifying kinds of auditions. Uh, usually I would be completely terrified about that. But uh, I had taken some classes that gave me some pointers. Oh, wow. Look at you. Hold on one second. What do you think? 
in this we are this podcast. I mean, people are like, oh wow, look at you. Don't they have no idea what I'm talking about? In this fa- <laughs> well, Captain Marvel is a favorite film in this family. Um one because of the Air Force connection, because um, yeah. Melissa, my wife, Zoe's mom, is an Air Force brat, so uh, uh-huh. we see that proudly. Uh, her her father served in the Air Force for twenty two years. Oh, amazing! Uh, and and we've had and we've had fam- family in other branches, but we're we're partial to the Air Force. Dad. So hold on, but we're we're partial to the military. Uh-huh. Um, but. Having lived near the Air Force Base for so long, even when we were dating, um, it was it was something about the fact that Carol was in the Air Force that kind of hit home a little bit more for her yeah. than Captain America, you know, with Steve being in the Army. Um, right. And these two just absolutely love Captain Marvel. And Goose the Cat. <laughs> and, and Melissa flirking. We and, call Face the Girl. Spoiler, another spoiler. Wait, Daddy, you want you want your Amer- Captain America dart bat? <laughs> so she just got you, man. It's a it's a supposed to be her photon blasters. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's really cool. I like because but it's a Nerf gun. Ah, uh, Nerf. I love that. That's still around. Yes. Um, this is like what you look through, and it's like her photon blaster, and this is like her sleeve. That's amazing. It's a great. Uh, but well, Melissa's got the uh, lounge fly mini backpack for Captain Marvel as her mm-hmm. as her normal purse. Mine's minor Star Wars, but well, we we said after we had you on Mighty Marvel Geeks, there needs to be a Cree mini backpack as well to go with the film. That way, people can wrap that as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, because my mom has the Captain Marvel when she's good, but they also make one with her Kree uniform before she changed the color. Right. Yeah, so. Every time I see something with Captain Marvel um, with her Kree colors, I'm like, nope. We aren't, we aren't getting this. She's a bad guy at this point. I don't care if she doesn't know it. I wasn't. I didn't mean Cree. I meant a scroll. A scroll backpack. Oh, we need a scroll, scroll backpack. But you know, Sharon has probably one of the best Captain Marvel collectibles or souvenirs ever. I know what you're going. Where you're going? Where? <laughs> at when at Marty Marvel Geeks when she showed us her ear. Yep. I do have those They're right here. <laughs> I'll take them out again. They're still in my little my little box that I keep for safekeeping. Now, now do you have to? Because they're they're made out of latex, right? They're silicone, I believe. Latex, silicone. Yeah. So do you? Oh, this is still so awesome. <laughs> and, and and to see the glow on your face when you pull them out to, I know. It's, it's great. It's like That's I never I, gonna go away. I have a suit. I ha, I have the, the greatest Captain Marvel collectible that no one else can ever have, and that's my ears. <laughs> And I actually also have the face, like they, the last time they took it off, they tried to keep the face part and kind of in one oh. So it, it's not quite as cool as the ears just because it doesn't have the shape, whatever, right. like, but they're, and I used to keep a small piece of it, like, just in my bag, just because, I don't want to pull it out because it's kind of hard to pull out, but yeah, I keep the ears. Uh, I can't hear you. <laughs> do, do you have to, every so often, uh, do a treatment? Do a treatment on the prosthetics to keep them from drying out? Um, no, but I mean, I keep them in this box. Okay. They seem to still be in good shape. So. Well, that's awesome. You give me at-home at care instructions. Well, I'm sure you... I'm not probably... I still have my teeth. What? 
I, I'm sure you probably know enough people in makeup and effects that can help help you maintain them if ever gets to that point. Oh, that's so cool. And my molds. Yeah, I still have these. Oh, wow. I haven't put them on in a while. <laughs> Smile for <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And let me keep them. And I have the molds. Here's my name on the bottom. Oh, cool. Favorite moment filming filming the film? Filming. Uh, Okay, well, you asked that question. Third podcast, ma'am. <laughs> well, That's it's, right. it's not my exact question, but it's pretty close. Well, ask your question then. My question, like, I have, like, three, like, Marvel-related questions. But in Captain Marvel, what did you have the, what did you have to work on the hardest for Soren? For Soren, the hardest part, I had never worked with prosthetics, actually, on my face, you know, or anything, but definitely. Um, the hardest part, in some ways, was making sure the emotion could come through all this stuff that was overlaid on my face. And, like, the lenses, you know, they were full eyeball lenses. Um, and then the prosthetics, so it's sort of like, you know, you use your eyebrow, you know, you, you express yourself with, you know, your face. And emotion, you know, so how do I make sure that what I am doing underneath all that physically gets through, gets through, like, is it translating and sort of, it's going to sound silly, but I, I actually practiced in the mirror because I had to get a muscle memory. And you know this with ballet, too, and da- all the dances where you have to create a muscle memory. So you're not thinking about like anything where you're just doing it and you know what that feeling is. So I had to I know what it feels like to smile. Right. But underneath all the makeup, I had to sort of underneath I'm smiling bigger for it to show the way it usually shows. Do you know what I mean? So I had to get a muscle memory of the the um, what do you call it? The exaggerated movement I was doing underneath that, you know, as an actor, it's like, you don't want to be overacting, but with the prosthetics on, it won't look like that. But I had to sort of get a feeling of what that felt like underneath. So I didn't feel like I'm overacting, but I'm actually what's reading is coming through the natural way. You know what I mean? I had to overcompensate, but I had to get a muscle memory for what it felt like to do that. Yeah. Was was there a challenge in the beginning of knowing what the restrictions were so you didn't cause the prosthetics to to peel up? Um, Well, like when they first, like I was asked, I was talking to them throughout the whole way, like, are you like, can I just do whatever? Can I move? They're like, yeah, once it's on, it's not going, it's not going anywhere. It's like the whole thing is glued on every, you know, it kind of came in pieces, but everything after it glued underneath. So it wasn't like there were air pockets or anything or or just being held here and then it could fall off if this becomes a part. It's like it glued onto my skin. It was like a second skin. See, I'm familiar with like spirit gum, but I'm like, that it's not yeah, spare gum. It's got to be something more. This is a full liquid. It's like there, and then it's attached to every part of your face. It's wow. So it was literally a second skin. So I could really, and that was even part of it too. Really. Like, so I can go and do this, and it's not going to be like, yeah, just whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I was making all kinds of funny faces at first because it was just like, really, I can just do whatever. And I think I told, I can't remember if I told you this before, but the, the funny thing was, I couldn't move my eyebrows at first. So I called it scroll talks because it was almost like, like Botox, but scroll Right. because I couldn't move at first. And so when we did it the next time I asked them if, if they they needed to sort of do that to the skin to make sure it's, it didn't pill up. So I asked them to sort of only do it like on this part of the eyebrow to keep that in place so that I could still move the middle part, you know what I mean? Underneath it. So it was like scroll talks though at first. Cause it was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I am moving. What do you mean? I am blinking, you know? <laughs> So, what's your next? In Spider-Man: Far from Far from Home. Yes. 
um, what was your favorite part about when you were in the car as a different person and like that whole scene? Uh, well, I remember the story. I I wasn't I wasn't really a different person, but uh, well, <laughs> but like well, when well, like you shape shift, yeah, shape shift. Oh, movie magic! I didn't really shape shift. It was all me the whole time. But yes, uh, the fun part was wearing the Maria Hill garb, which was like really clunky, cool jeans and a cool leather jacket, and that was awesome. And that I fit into the same. Oh, here's a fun fact, which I don't even know if I realized this at the time when we, you and I spoke, like, um, Colby Smulders is also, the actress who played Maria Hill, is also an ovarian cancer survivor. Yes, we did talk about this. Is that crazy or what? So yep. just the cosmic connectiveness of the two of us as actors being these characters that kind of morphed between the two of us and both of us having that. And she was also 28. At, or I think she was around that same age as I was when I had it. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that part was amazing. And just improvising and playing around in the car with Ben Mendelsohn was hilarious and awesome. That's my favorite part of it was just hanging out for an afternoon with Ben Mendelsohn and, you know, having our little husband and wife bickering back and forth. And like, you know, we were just a husband and wife in a car like, come on, honey, you have have to come on and him just being all like what i don't know you know it's just it was hilarious and fun now ben mendelson who was talos my husband <laughs> you, you know what other role he was in you should know very well i don't remember but if i have my character right i believe he was galen urso in star wars rogue one yeah he's in rogue one What's to look at her face? The thing with him is he transforms. He's also in, uh, what's the one where he played the King of England? Uh, I'm totally blanking right now. I didn't recognize him at first as the king. Um, King's speech? No. The king's, no. Now I'm going to have to look this up because it's bothering me. I, I'm, I'm in the same direction. King of England. King George. There he is. And if I also remember, he was... Darkest Hour. Wait, Darkest... Yes. Dar oh, yes. The, the Gary Oldman. Darkest Hour. Yeah. An old... Gary Oldman. And Gary, Gary Oldman was, did not look like Gary Oldman either. Oh. But that was an amazing like, film. When he changes the, either the color of his hair or the cut, whatever it is, and then the outfit he's on and his physicality, he transforms. I It took me a minute to realize that that was Ben Mendelsohn as King George. I was like, yeah. oh. No way. But yeah, Rogue One. Uh, I want to say, too, he was the villain in Doctor Strange as well. He ends up playing villains, which is funny because he's you know, such a nice... He, he was not Urso. He was Krennic. He was Orson Krennic. He was wearing that cool white outfit, outfit that's like white gray with a red stripe. He, he looked like Thrawn, but not, blue, but not blue. There's a blizzard going on. No, oh, I'm thinking of someone else. Never mind. Uh, in Rogue One, find the picture. <laughs> oh, he was that dude. <laughs> that dude, yes. <laughs> yeah, that dude's her husband in the movie is Talos in the movie. Dude, he's mostly obviously. What he, well, well, in Rogue in, One, he is. Yeah. Yes, and and in in uh, uh, what do you call it? In Captain Marvel, he's both. He's also two characters. What? In what? Don't you remember the movie? Well, yeah, but what do you mean by his two characters? Well, he was Talos. He was also. I don't want to give it away. Like I'm trying to. <laughs> hint, hint. He shape shifted and pretended to be someone. The 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 boss guy person thingy. Boss guy person thingy covers it. Yes. 
<laughs> Nick Fury? No, not Nick Fury. The, no, not the, Nick Fury's the other, boss. The, the, uh, oh, the okay. other guy. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Not Coulson. Coulson. He's the shield. He's the shield agent. Yes. You know who I'm talking about. Yes. 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 Well, it's a little late, but there was boss, the boss of Shield. Because remember the conversation at the end of Captain Marvel, where we're at the dinner table, and and Nick Fury's giving him a little ribbing about like, yeah, he stole my boss's identity. He's like, I didn't really steal it. I borrowed it. And then I say, oh, it's kind of like stealing. Yeah. That's that whole con- is because he was that guy. He was in human form. He was shapeshifted as. Nick Fury's shield boss. Now it was. The thing is, I didn't meet Ben Mendelsohn as the human Ben Mendelsohn. We didn't meet each other in human form until the very last day of our shooting in December, before the movie came out in March. Because so December 2018, I didn't meet him as a human being. Because when we would both get on set, we'd go straight into makeup. So when we were on set, we were both already in full prosthetics. But on my last day of shooting, he was shooting another scene as the as the shield boss guy. And I was leaving and I went into the trailer to say goodbye to everyone. And there he was sitting in the makeup chair with it. I thought he had already left, actually. Um, <laughs> he was sitting there and we look at each other like in the mirror. And I'm like, he's like, oh, so that's what you look like. And I was like, yeah, it's me. Because we didn't hadn't met in human form. I mean, I knew what he looked like because I already had seen him do other stuff, but he had not met Sharon. He only knew Soren. He hadn't met Sharon yet until the last day of shooting. That's funny. That's cool. So... Another question. She's 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 trying to figure out which which one to go to. I have have two more questions, but I don't... I think I'm going to do that one. Okay. So, what was your favorite movie that you've been in and why? It's sort of easy, and it's not just because it's the Marvel movie, but <laughs> it sort of is the Marvel movie. As far as movies, I've done I've done more film, uh, more TV stuff than film stuff. As far as especially on that level, I've done some indie film things that were really cool and fun. Um, but I guess just overall, I have to say because it's Marvel, and so the Marvel geek in me, it just satisfied me on so many levels. It was like the the best experience as a geek, as an actor, as a as a person, and then also. Working with someone like Ben Mendelsohn as an actor, just, just that level, and Brie Larson was amazing. And so in terms of every facet of that experience, that's been my favorite. And truthfully, not just because it's the biggest movie, but just every aspect of it was so personally and professionally right. gratifying. Awesome. Yeah. Can I steal your question? No. Because you went like this. Because I can tell you my favorite TV thing. <laughs> No, it's like I, I kind of know the answer to this question. I have two question. of them, actually. What, what's your favorite TV project you, you've been a part well, there, of? There, there's kind of two. The I'll tell you, the, the, the more recent one would be Shameless because I got to work opposite um, William H. Macy. Oh, my God. I had a brain, oh, wow. brain, bubble, a brain, brain bubble right there. The um, shoveler. Uh, the, the cooler. Yes, and the shoveler. Um, yes. So my favorite, the first, the most recent TV thing would be Shameless with because I got to work across William H. Macy, which as an actor, again. And it was a very personal, uh, I was playing a cancer survivor speaking at a support group. So the dialogue, what I was saying was actually came very naturally. The audition was like, oh yeah, that's me. Other than it was about, it was breast cancer. So I, you know, that wasn't me directly and I don't have kids. So the, the dialogue around having kids and having whatever, but everything she was saying about, you know, seeing her doctors more than her family. And, and uh, she right. was, I'm very much the same. Like I'm used to, I'm the one who's used to being the fixer. And now I'm the one who needs help. You know, so all of those things were uh, totally me. Um, 
And in fact, part of the experience was amazing too because they were doing this thing. You have to see the scene to understand, but he, the, the cameraman, we're sitting in a circle and the cameraman was in the middle and he was sort of rotating around as I'm doing my little monologue. He's circling around and then he lands on me at the, at the end with the last line. And they needed more dialogue. To, they wanted to pace it a certain way and it was, what they wrote was too short. So I was finished way before he got around to me. So I heard them talking about like, oh, we need to write something more. And the, the writer, Alex Borstein, another, she was the writer of the episode I was working on. Awesome. So that was like awesome. geek again, mad TV and everything. And yeah, of course now yeah. old, but she hadn't done that yet. I just knew her from mad TV as a medium. And so I was just like, oh my God. She, and she was in the audition room. It was crazy. So I kind of joked to William H. Macy, who loved my work, and he was saying so many wonderful things sitting right next to me. And I'm just like, I can't even hear what he's saying. But I joked to him like, well, I could tell him what to say because, you know, I've been through it so many times. Like, I know exactly what this woman is thinking. So he said, oh, OK. And he said, excuse me. And he walked away. And then the director and uh, came over and said, excuse me, could you come over here for a moment? And then she brought me over and it was me. Mimi Leader was the director and Alex Borstein. And they were like, so we thought. You you said you mentioned that you might be able to give us some ideas about what to say. And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And then I did. And that ended up being part of my dialogue, my monologue, whatever, in the scene. So it was just like, and that was, the whole thing took four hours. It was way too short. I was only on set for four hours for that one scene. But it was magical four hours. Wow. William H. Macy worked with me. And it was a scene, there was a lot of emotion. There were some real survivors also in the circle. And um, it was very emotional and personal. And it was one of those things where, as an actor, you have to, you have to be able to cry. You know, and by the 20th time, the tears weren't quite coming and I feel like they wanted the waterworks, but I don't know. And I was talking to William H. Mason. I can't call him Bill. He's always like, call me Bill. And I'm like, I can't do that. I don't know you well enough. But I was talking to him after and I was kind of worried. Like, I feel like they wanted more waterworks. Like, I don't know. Like, oh, what if I, he was like, so he said this actor advice that was like, oh, like, you know, sometimes it's more powerful when they see that you want to cry, but you don't. And if they didn't get what they wanted, they wouldn't have wrapped. I was like, okay. And then when I saw the final take, for whatever reason, it wasn't the one where the tears were all, all over my face. So I was like, oh, okay. So as an actor, that was just great life. They, they went with a more powerful moment. I guess so. Either that or whatever else that worked. You know, who knows what, why things end up on the cutting room floor. But it was interesting that he said that. And then what I saw when I saw what they went with in the final take was, you know. So that was shameless. <laughs> so we'll we'll have to go look up that episode so we could so we could go watch it watch your scene. What is the name of that episode? Devils something. I, I can I can I'll send it to you an email. I can look it up and send it to you later which episode okay. it is. And I didn't have Showtime, so I had never even seen the show. I, I watched it just so I could understand the tone of the show a little bit. Like I I watched some videos on YouTube or whatever, but um, so I can't tell you what see. I don't remember what season it is either. Uh, <clears throat> Zoe found it in season one, episode five. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So it's season one. Yeah. Okay. And you said you, uh, you it was kind of that that moment is also tied with another there's another show that is my second favorite ever tv thing for a totally different reason but i was on sex in the city twice in background but i was bumped up to a featured extra for both of them the first one uh was special because again i had just started this is when i just started bald is beautiful and this crazy idea to go out there to as an actor as a bald woman and i booked this extra 
thing and they bumped me up. I was doing extra work to try and get my union card. So my first SAG waiver came from Sex and the City. And it was this scene where, uh, I don't know if you've seen the show, but anyway, it's uh, it's uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov's first episode. They're in an art gallery. The, the artist is doing a hunger <clears throat> the artist is doing a hunger silent strike right. this art ga- posh art gallery thing and uh, it was basing on the character Charlotte and um, Carrie are there and they sort of start chattering and they're making fun of the artist and her hair and you know they're giggling and laughing and I was pretentious artsy woman <laughs> <laughs> that's what they put in the script pretentious artsy woman where I give them a dirty shushing look so I didn't have any words but they start giggling and laughing and I and I kind of profile and I turn into them and kind of like like shame them into silence um, artsy pretentious artsy woman so that was so that was fun because I was bumped up to featured I was playing this pretentious artsy woman and it was my first SAG waiver to, towards becoming a union actor awesome so, so there's that and then the second one is my really my more favorite because at when I was on set for that episode, I talked to the director and actually the showrunner, uh, Michael Patrick King, was on set. And I talked to him about Bald is Beautiful. And I said, I would love for the show. I have an idea for the show to sort of bring cancers into the storyline and maybe we can blah, blah, blah. Like I had this whole little pitch ready for him. And I uh, and uh, I, w- I wanted to talk to him about like, you know, I'd love to blah, blah, blah. And he was kind of like, I can't tell you anything, but I just let you know it's being covered and you should stay in touch with casting. That's all he said. And then like a year later, they reached out to me and they were casting this scene where they wanted real cancer patients and survivors in this scene. And it was this, it's the second to last episode of the show, of the whole series. Right, right. <clears throat> and it's when Kim Cattrall's character, Samantha, is speaking at that gala for breast cancer awareness. Yep. She's wearing that wig and she's sweating and then she just ugh, can't take it off. She takes off the wig and all these women start taking off the wig and standing up in solidarity. I was one, I was the last one to stand up before we started plotting, but they also asked me to help cast the scene. So most of the women, two of them had alopecia, but all the other women who take off their wigs and are, stand, are featured in that scene are real cancer patients that I uh-huh. brought with me. They wanted this awesome. kind of real feeling in the room. And it was the most emotionally exquisite day. They dedicated it to, there was someone in the on their crew that was going through cancer treatment. So they were dedicating that shoot day to her. So they were dedicating that shoot day to her. So it was already, the emotion was very palpable in the room. And at the end of the day, um, we all, the Baldies got together to take a picture with Kim Cattrall. And uh, it was just beautiful. It was so, so my joy of that was these women, most of it was very hard to get them to do the, it was harder than I thought to get people to, hey, do you want to be on Sex and the City? But many women were just very private about their journey. They had never gone out in public without their wigs on or something. Or they also, maybe some of them hadn't even really talked to people at their job that they had cancer. So then they were going to be on this big TV show and their face on camera possibly. Um, but my concept with Bald is Beautiful is like to associate this extraordinarily once in a lifetime experience with cancer. So instead of it all being doom and gloom, it's like, oh, I have cancer and I got to be on Sex in the City. One of the biggest shows on at the time. You know? Right. And it was that way. There was one woman who really was shy about taking off her wig, so she didn't do it in the scene. But we were taking the picture with all the baldies, and uh, she had her wig on, and she looked at me, and she was like, can I be in the picture even though I don't want to take off my wig? And I was kind of like, yeah, hello. Come in here. Get over here. And as she hops into this camera, she last minute takes her wig off. And so everyone oh, wow. her. Yeah. Well, when we had you. For that reason. When we had you on uh, Mighty Marvel Geeks back in March. Uh, you had just had your episode of This Is Us come out. Oh. And literally the next day, I'm like, 
you guys got to watch this. And we went to our DVR. And we Wait, so I talked, when did I talk to you? Uh, it was like March. That came out in February. Oh my God. It was March of this year. I can't even believe. Yeah, it was like. A year or more. It was like, a, it was like a few weeks after that episode aired. Yeah. Oh my god! And and I and it was still on our DVR, and because Melissa is a big fan of This Is Us, I love that show. Um, you're a fan too, right? You you watch it with her sometimes. But it was like Sh- Sharon's in this episode, <laughs> and we went and rewound, and then I slowed it down, went frame by frame, and no, no, there she is. No, that is not what happened. That is <laughs> what happened. Not what, what happened. happened. <laughs> So we went through the DVR, like he said, but um, he never he never slowed it down. <laughs> he never slowed it down. Back checking. <laughs> what he did is he let the episode play, and then I'm like, "Give me the remote! Give me the remote!" And he's like, "Why?" I'm like, "I rewind it like two seconds." I'm like, "There!" And they're like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> they missed it, but I didn't. It. it was right at the top of the show. I had and and I had no idea. I thought the air date they get they told me a different air date. So I only found out at the last minute because friends of mine on the East Coast were watching and they were kind of I was getting text messages like, Nice of you to tell us you were gonna be on the show and I was like, What? What are you talking about? <laughs> so then I put something together real quick to say like, Hey, tune in, I'm on the show apparently tonight. Right in the first whatever, five minutes of the one line. So, yeah. That was fun to shoot too. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Sex in the City, especially that episode with with Kim Cattrall's character, was very. That was my second, my my third and final SAG waiver, so I could join, and so personally significant and a powerful day, just an amazing yeah. day for so many women that I gave this that I brought along with me. That was just, uh, it was just so cool. So that's it, my that that and. So yeah, that that and episode and the uh, the shameless just. But I, I actually would put maybe the second city that that one is my top just because of the personal significance. Well, like, and that one's considered one of the top top ten episodes of Sex and the City too, isn't it? I mean, it's the last. It's the second last episode of the entire series, so it was, it was very watched. Right, but that but that moment was considered one of the most uh, monumental episodes yeah. for the show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, so it was fun, you know. Even though I was, again, I was a back, background featured featured extra. It was everyone in that I was participating in that scene and the significance of it and what it said, right. the message that it tells to women that you know you don't have to wear a wig if you're going to wear a wig. like the way they handled the show. Actually, that her, the character she wore wore all those different wigs and she had fun with it. That's that's the essence also of Bald is Beautiful. It isn't don't wear wigs, but if you are going to wear wigs, don't try to cover up shame. Right. Don't have fun with it. wear different color wigs or different styles that you wouldn't try necessarily with your own hair. Like have fun, be your own human Barbie doll. And that's yeah. how, how they treated the character, which I was very happy about. And then the culmination of that episode, just the bald is beautiful message and everything being shown so beautifully. Yeah. It was definitely a peak moment for me right at the beginning of my bald is beautiful work. Oh. You have any other questions? I have one more question. Yes, what are I know because you have two. What is it? <laughs> what are you going to be doing for Halloween? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to be in my little bubble here at home. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not. It's funny. My twin sister is a huge costume person. When I'm with her, she I'm like her little doll that she plays with and she puts things on me. When I'm not with her... <laughs> 
I don't necessarily do it. I, I don't know. I hope that's not disappointing. I'm not like a big costume person. I go to Comic-Con, but I don't necessarily, I go for other reasons, but like, I just love being around it and I love taking it all in and talking to people about their costumes, but I don't, I've never actually cosplayed myself. When you've, when you've gotten paid to do the the best cosplay ever, how do you top that for Halloween? Yeah, like if I could go as Soren, oh, I would do that in a second. Yeah. So I went to a Halloween contest, like it was a costume contest at a friend, one of my friend's church, and I went in as Jen Erso because that was what I was going to be for Halloween. Like nobody, nobody knew what I was, so like (laughs) I, I, they, they were just clueless on what I was. Yeah. So I didn't so get I didn't get picked. They were they they were all like clueless on who I was in. Miss Sarah. I was Jen Urso and like you just stood there like they you didn't even get to tell them who you were or like you just stood there and they would like look at you and they would go like around to see like everything. <laughs> But you just, so when people would ask, you would just have to explain it every time. Yeah. So what did you say? Did you have like, did you put together a short, like how did, what did you say? I'm like, I'm Jen or so from Star Wars there. But then they, did they say like, well, which character did they ask more or did you, so you could just say that and then they would leave you alone. Okay. Now I got to ask, did I read right that you as a kid also did some dancing? No. Okay. That I, I was, I took, my sister and I took gymnastics when we were really young. Like Maybe six, that's why I was thinking. But that's not even, like, we were terrible. I can't, I still can't do a cart, cartwheel. Can't do a headstand. I can't okay. even do a somersault. Oh, really? Okay, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> but I've never been able to do it. Not even, like, on a beach or in the water. Like, I don't know what it is. I can only, I can do half a handstand in a walk in the, like, pool, but... Can you do, because I also can't do splits. Can you do splits? Okay, so you're you like ver- way You have verbalized a head shake. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I could never do splits. It's just not, my body wasn't. I'm like maybe. Do those things, I guess. I'm maybe like an inch until going all the way down to the ground. Oh, wow. I'm, wow. Fa- I'm fairly good at splits. Good. I th- I know that you get be- you can get better. At- I just I don't know if I would ever physically be able to do a split, but I can. Like if when I was doing yoga a little more regularly, I could do a little more and more each time when I was doing it consistently. But yeah, it's just never been something I've been able to do. But they called us the tumbling twins. Neither of us. We just literally tumbled. We didn't actually do gymnastics. We just <laughs> did fall on the mat. Um, but they thought they liked the alliterative tumbling twins. So, okay. so you have any other questions? Nope. I'm actually. I got. I got one more that you need to ask. That list. I want to see that list. Did you actually cross things off the list? Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. Let me see it. Well done. He's writing it down. It, it. <laughs> you asked that. That's your question. That's your problem. <laughs> your list, though. I want to see your list. Like things crossed off. <laughs> oh, that's cute. You ask it, it's your question, well, it's your problem. All right, I'll ask, but this is a question that you should ask as primary host. Where can we find you online? Why did you want to ask that question, Zoe? Because it's like really official? Ugh, not funny. I don't know, it's just not my question. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zoe and Mike... <laughs> 
You can find me online. If you go to baldisbeautiful.org, that's my website. So you can definitely find my website. And then on Instagram, it's bald.is.beautiful. And and, on Facebook, there's a Bald is Beautiful Facebook page, too. And I believe Adventures in Geek, all one word, on Instagram is following bald.is.beautiful on Instagram. I think so. If not, we will be before the end of the day. Go find me. So, um, you got anything else? Nope. Nope. Well, you want to thank Sharon for coming on the show? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Zoe. It was awesome. You're a good interviewer. And you have good stories to tell yourself. That also, I think, Mikey would probably concur, right? If you're, you're, as as an interviewer, it's good to be able to have a conversation rather than just asking a question and then getting an answer. Like, like I like, for me anyway, I like interviews where they're more conversational than just... We, the only reason why I have her still at the moment writing questions is so she gets used to it. That way, as we bring more people on in the future, it does come more natural because I was the same way when, when I started podcasting. It's always good either way, I think, to have questions, you know, because you don't know when there's going to be a weird lull in a conversation and then you have something ready to ask. So I don't think you ever need to stop having a list of questions. It's just you ask a question and then we, you know, we went off on different tangents. Every question you asked, Zoe, it ended up going into different areas anyway. So it became conversational. So it's always good to have like the launch point for each question. So it's always good to so, and of course, I had your mom in the background too. So we, it was really all three of us, all, th- all four of us talking. It was four <laughs> of us talking. And, and I, I'm going to say that just a little louder so Melissa can hear. <laughs> Sharon, Sharon appreciates that you're a part of the show as well. <laughs> Where is she? Verbally direct from the other room at times. <laughs> there you are. Hey. <laughs> I don't know if you met Sharon. Yes, I'm, we had our conversation right. because you that's were trying to uh, speak for my sister incorrectly. That's right. That's right. That's right. We, we keep them in line. Yes, we do. We have, have to get a them in check at times. We keep them in of our ears. Here we go. Wait, I'm, I'm going to move my photo to the side. Stay where you are. Wait. Ah. Keep on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not ready yet. Not ready yet. Okay. Ready. And okay, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, baby. I'm trying to hear. I'll borrow your dad's. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Our crazy, crazy house. (laughs) Welcome to welcome to my crazy world. Down. Take another one. I was looking down. (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna take your ears from you so I can hear. I can't hear. (laughs) You don't need to hear at this point. (laughs) I was gonna say, welcome to our crazy house. I have to keep both of these. Uh, lovely people in line because mainly if him. not, it's it's definitely mainly him. Well, you're a good kid. You really, really are. But there are times I have to bring you back some too because you get a little too excited. And I'm I don't have much crazy stuff, but I have. You can see what's behind me. I've got yeah. stuff. Oh well, this is their room. I take no claim to this room. It is their room. Uh, they share it together. They clean it. They make the mess. They clean it. I just leave right. it up oh to God. them. I see the child in the background. Oh, yes. That is um, actually that's my painting that I did. Um, We did a uh, painting with a twist um, uh, class. So um, Zoe and I both painted one and mine might got to keep mine. Oh, how adorable. That's even more special because it's handmade. That's a friend of mine gave this to me for my birthday. (laughs) Yes. Zoe is obsessed with the child. 
I am too. She is like completely and totally obsessed. He's even going to make an appearance in her birthday stuff this year. Here's her painting. Wait, you did that? Yeah, she did that. That's hers. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, they teach you in the, it's a, 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 a business that it's called painting with a twist. And they go and they instruct you on how to do the different paintings. So you get step-by-step instructions while you're doing it. And they offered that one. So we both did it. So was that, did you draw it in pencil? Like, was that just paint? It's all just paint. What they did is they did have a stencil for Baby Yoda, but they instruct Uh you on the strokes to do for the background. And then you take the stencil and put it on there and you trace it out in chalk. And then you paint over it so you have the lining. Wow. Yeah. You know, this is all stuff. That is so cool. Yeah. It's very, it's a very cool class. They have all different kinds of things. Um, and if you look at the ones back there, our viewing audience can't see them because this is all over uh, audio. But the, the R2-D2 and the um, Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah, I see Chewbacca. Those were the same. She was showing you hers. Oh, you have like a oh, life-size one. That is oh. ah! This is the Build-A-Bear special one. I think you pulled my headphones out. I can't hear anything. Oh, now I can. <laughs> yeah, he makes sound. <laughs> okay, mine is not quite so high-tech. But but yours is special because somebody took the time and love to make it for you. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us both hugging our, our yes, baby Yodas. Ba- yes, they love their baby Yodas. The child is... Um, well, we joked because Michael turned 50 this year and the child is supposedly 50. So he had a <laughs> he had a Star Wars birthday and I said the child is 50. So it's been our child year all around for collecting baby Yoda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they joke and they kid and they have a lot of fun. I am the least geeky of the family. I have learned everything I have learned through osmosis. <laughs> By, by proxy. Yes, I, I through osmosis, you know. Even the dog has geek stuff. Yes, the dog is wearing a Captain Marvel collar and she Captain has, or, sorry, we Captain, haven't found, we Captain haven't found the Captain Marvel. Captain, you can tell which my, where my mind goes, Captain Marvel, but um, she has a Captain America collar with his shield all around it and she's got a Star Wars tag with Ray and BB-8 on it, so oh, yeah, she gets sucked into the fandom too. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to show you. We did a, she, oh, yeah, I can't get my phone to turn back on. I was trying to reboot it. Uh, Technical support. There we go. She is trying to get the dog to come say hi to you, I think. Which she is in her. We have to get a better, we have to get a better screenshot where I'm not looking down. (laughs) He had, uh, Faithy, come. Faith, come here. Come say hi. Come Uh, here. Here, hold that. At this point in time, I think we're going to still talk after show, but I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Oh, she's okay. She's okay. She doesn't like to be picked up. Oh, I see the collar. Yeah, and then she's she's uh, worn off star, but she's got Wars and Ray and uh, I think it's BB-8 on there. Yeah, it's BB. Okay. Yeah, girl. Look, girl. Do we do audio? Do we need an audio signing off? Is that what you were saying, Mike? Yeah, I think we're going to want to do the sign off. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Adventures in Geek. Woo! Thanks for having me on Adventures to Geek in Geek. This was a... You have reached the life model decoy of Tony Stark. Please leave a message.